Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with the Witherslack Group, experts in special education and care. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everybody. I hope you are all well. This is Carl C. Poupey, the author of The Action Era Teacher Classroom Management Made Simple, and the author of the upcoming book, The Action Era Teacher 2, out on uh, Friday, the 2nd of December. Uh, I hope you're all well. This is very exciting for me. I've never done this before uh, in regards to co-hosting my own space. So thank you very much for joining us and listening to my musings as I talk all things education. Now, this is one of two shows that I have been commissioned to do. So this is not a regular thing for me. So this is one of... Yes, hello, I'm seeing the guests popping up. Come in, come in, come in. It's like what we used to do. When I was a young man, I used to go raving or go to the discotheque, as some of, some of you might know it as. And you walk into the, to the nightclub and people are starting to come in and then they bring the vibe and they bring the energy. So thank you very much. So big up, Leon. Big up, Leon. Big up, Miss Shah. Nice to see you. So more people are coming. It's traffic. That's the reason why they're late. It's traffic. Um, but as I was saying, this is very new to me. Um, and I am very, very appreciative of you guys coming in and spending your time with me as I come in, as I speak. It's very, very weird. It's, 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 it's weird because you just feel like, I don't know. Am I talking to myself? No, clearly I'm not. So I'm very much on vibes. So if you've got anything to say, if you want to jump on onto the chat, please let us know. Let, let us know. So, uh, you know, feel free to be interactive. So let me just talk a bit about myself for a bit. So you might be thinking, who is this gentleman with these dulcet, velvety tones talking to you? So, um, as I said, uh, my name's Carl C. Poupe. I've been in education for about 13 years. So um, I've been in and around, and I came through a very peculiar way in education. I never wanted to be a teacher. I know some of you teacher people might be thinking, oh my gosh, Carl, how can you say that teaching is a vocation? It wasn't a vocation for me. People say, you know, teaching found them. I think teaching rushed me, jumped on me, and basically put me in a and &E. That's exactly what happened. It was a, So after... What happened? After the great credit recession or credit crunch, as, they, as we knew it back then, I thought I need a job with a bit more job security. So I found my way into mentorship and I was working with a lot of young people who were working in a, I'm trying to think now, they were in a, a youth club. So it was very much, there were a lot of MCs spitting those hot 16, spitting those hot bars. And I was there trying to encourage them to do some more things around education. And then somebody, one of my mentors at the time, um, he said to me, uh, his name was Matt, bless him. And he said to me, Carl, you'll be a really great teacher. And I thought in my head, you're having a laugh, mate. I was a terrorist when I was a young boy. I was a terrorist. I terrorized my teachers. And I thought, no way will I ever do that. But I thought, I need the money. And at the time, my girlfriend, now known as my wife, you know, getting her hair done was very expensive. Uh, so <laughs> I might get in trouble if my wife is listening. I'm so sorry. But getting, a woman getting their hair done is very, very expensive. Anybody agree? Let me see, because we've got a couple of people in the room. Just use your clap emojis. Anybody agree? Okay, it's only me. Maybe my wife's hair is the only one that's very expensive. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> so I was thinking, boy, I can't be unemployed forever. And to cut a long story short, I actually started to enjoy it. So I rose up the ranks and I became a NEATS coordinator. So I was working with uh, a lot of young, vulnerable young people in a place called the Isle of Dogs, which is right next to Canary Wharf, ironically, one of the poorest places uh, or most deprived socio socioeconomically challenged places 
in the UK, believe it or not. And this was during the time of the acid attacks, rose up the ranks. I did that. Then because of austerity cuts, because of this wonderful, competent government, I ended up in mainstream education. Then I wrote a book and here I am talking to you. Now the room is filled up. Thank you very, very, very much, guys. Um, welcome. As I said, I really appreciate you coming out. In the words of that great philosopher, Sean Jay-Z Carter, you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me. So thank you very much for doing that. So let's crack on, shall we? So the title of this talk today is Our Kids, sorry, Our Kids, Freudian slip there, Our Schools Preparing Our Children for the Future. All right. So let me just repeat that again. This is the learning objective, teachers, fellow edu Twitter teachers. This is the learning objective, right? No, not the learning objective. This is the title. Then I'll go through the learning objective. Are schools preparing our kids for the future? So why did I decide to do this? I, I, was, I was, you know, I was perusing on the internet, as you do on Twitter. And people are talking about what's going on in our economy, inflation. And I run into a, a very interesting report by Price Waterhouse Coopers. I don't know if anybody has ever heard of that. Put a clap if you've ever heard of them. Price Waterhouse Coopers. Very, very big. Um, so basically, uh, a couple of you. So basically, it's one of the biggest accounting and auditing, uh, sorry, the biggest accounting and business advisory service firms on the planet. And they released a very interesting report called the Walk Walkforce. Maybe it's just us walking. It's not. <laughs> the Walkforce? Where the hell did that come from? The Workforce of the Future. Dun, dun, dun. Sounded very ominous. So I thought, you know what? Let me go. Let me read this report. And it was very, very interesting. So let's talk about some interesting statistics. So first things first, before they went into their report, they went around talking to business, um, various businesses, various employees, and asked them about their thoughts about the future economy. So they're looking um, at what, uh, what's going to happen in the next you know, five to 10 years. So their report is based on 2030. What they found was that 37% of workers right now, employees right now, are worried about automation putting their jobs at risk. And this went up from 33% in 2014. They were worried about 74%, um, or sorry, sorry, I've said that again. Let me just repeat myself, sorry. 70, my notes are rubbish, you see. I write like a doctor. I can't even read my own notes sometimes. They said that 74% um, of employees realized that they had to learn new skills or retrain to become or to remain employable in the future. They believe that 60%, right, of people, uh, sorry, 60% of workers believe that uh, very few people are going to have stable long-term employment in the future. 73% believe that technology cannot replace the human mind. Clearly, these guys have not watched The Terminator. They have not watched iRobot with Will Smith. Is Will Smith cancelled? Can I say his name? Guys, let me know. Is Will Smith cancelled? Is he, is he safe to use in these conversations now? You know, I'll make sure I keep people's wives and husbands and partners' names out of my mouth. I don't know. Is he cancelled? What do you guys think? Is he cancelled? No, he's not cancelled, I presume. Then fair play. <laughs> I used to like Will. I used to like Will. I don't know. I feel I've got mixed feelings about him. I won't ever talk about his wife in front of him. But anyway, that's another story for another time. So going back to the report, that's what you're all here for. So basically what they did in this report is like a 100 page report. Is they went through um, four key areas, which they called the world's of work, which is really interesting. So there were four sectors that they believed would be affected or they believed that would change drastically. And they categorized them and they spoke about them. So they did some ninja, you know, teenage mutant ninja turtle type of thing here where it's all color coordinated. So just follow me, just use your imagination and follow me. So the first world they talk about was the red world. 
which looked at how innovation and disruption will change future work. So there are some jobs that are disappearing. And it's not all the jobs that you think. It's not the jobs like... Uh, People think when they, they think of automation, they think of manual labor jobs disappearing. But it's things like even accountancy and some parts of law, which surprised me. It was very, very surprising. So that's the red world. How will disruption affect the future economy? The blue world looked at the continuing growth of big business and how corporations exert their influence on society and culture. So the belief is that, that the bigger businesses have more leverage and they're going to use that leverage to stop um, smaller businesses from taking their cake. So you see things like business tactics, like, for example, I believe it's Facebook or Meta buying Instagram, WhatsApp, so on and so forth. So rather than being more innovative, bigger businesses are going to start um, taking smaller ones. Um, they spoke about the green world and they looked at how businesses must become more environmentally conscious, not only as a fashion statement, but as a real push to stop the cataclysmic effects of global warming. And I want to talk about some statistics about that. And finally, they looked at the yellow world. Just a slight thing. I thought yellow was the colour of cowardice. I don't know. People used to say, you know, anybody watch some westerns where they say you're a yellow belly? I don't know. It's colour of cowardice, but I don't know. Yellow's a nice colour. Colour of the sun. Anyway, so it looked at how the human... <laughs> you have to do this. You have to do this. So it looked at how the human element of work and how... Uh, looked at the human element of work and how businesses can move with a social conscience and support causes that make society better. Okay, so it's a very long report. I'm not going to go through every single one, but I, I picked out some interesting bits and pieces for you to nibble on mentally, if that makes any sense. So here are their key findings. Here's the ones that intrigue me the most. So number one, what they said was across the board, employee, employee, say that fast 15 times, employee loyalty, employee loyalty. I'm going to say it right. Employee loyalty <laughs> is a thing of the past. So specialism is highly prized. And workers um, who develop the most sought-after skills will get the biggest reward package. We kind of know that. Employees are expected to work on shorter-term projects and build a portfolio career rather than climbing the ladder. So the days of when your granddad, you know, when your granddad or your grandma said, you know, I worked for a company and I worked for them for 50 years and they looked after me. They're long gone. Tell your granddad or your grandma they're long gone. They're no longer here, my friends. So what, what they meant was that workers will no longer have fixed-term contracts. They'll be working on projects, almost like they described it like films. So you get a director, you get a actors. They'll work on a project for six months, and they'll go off to another project. No one's assigned to a particular place, which was really interesting. Um, they spoke about... Uh, so another finding I found was the speed to the market was everything. So basically, what they're relying is on flatter structures. So whereas, you again, you had the corporate ladder... The whole belief is when it comes to disruption, you have to be the first to the market. You have to be as fast as you humanly can. All right. And that's where lean teams come into play. So it's not so much based on your authority, but based on your expertise and your skill. This was really interesting. They said that competition will be higher than ever with bigger firms rewarding more money for critical business skills. So if a person can de um, demonstrate proficiency, even without formal education, they'll be hired versus just following the traditional route of getting a degree. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Number four, they said that society is going to become more unequal. So things such as um, healthcare benefits, um, dentistry, holidays, remuneration packages will go to the top people, whereas the people on the bottom that can't keep up with the changes in society will unfortunately almost be lower class citizens. And we're seeing that, especially in the UK, we're seeing a lot of that. Number five, uh, a couple more points. There are more pressure, there's more pressure for businesses to, 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 to show 
that they've got sustainable business practices. And this is becoming a key factor in retaining top talent. So no more can you say, I am green. You have to show your credentials. You have to be active, especially looking at what's happening with everything, with uh, the, um, the global warming crisis that we face. And last point, I think, or there's a couple more, but I'm just going to keep it for time. Ah, this was a really good one. Right. Key point. They said the reliance on traditional schooling is weakening. So outside of heavily regulated and licensed professions, i.e. medicine, employers are keen to get talent and may hand wave certain requirements if they demonstrate key competencies. Also, employees are expected to be lifelong learners and technology again will look um, technology again is looking to disrupt education. So in, Go um, in 2020, Google announced a program called Google Career Certificates, which the, which what is a program which they um, taught targeted real world job skills which will be graded by working professionals. So rather than taking a traditional degree that takes three years, you're going to do an intense six-month course, whether it's coding, whether it's, I don't know, marketing, and then it will be graded by somebody who's actually working to get you the jobs. And this is what they're rolling out. So they want to put this in place of degrees. So I've mentioned my points. I've now embedded you into what we're going to be talking about today. So my question, educators, fellow educators, fellow people of the whiteboard, <laughs> if that's such a thing, is, is our current education system doing enough to prepare the young people for the future? I do have a number of questions, all right, that I wanted to ask, that I wanted to get you to think about. But have we got any speakers? I noticed, sorry, I'm just getting used to this technology. Quick overview of speakers. Is there anybody that wishes to speak before I carry on? Okay, sorry, give me two seconds, guys. Okay, I thought somebody wanted to speak, but somebody might have to help me with the technology. OK, because I'm not too sure how to get people on if they want to come on. I'm seeing the comments. Sounds very interesting. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you very much. OK, so I'm going to just carry on. But just feel free to stop me, to buzz in. All right. As they say, to buzz in when you are ready. So one of the key things, this is a key question I wanted to ask. And I wanted to ask you guys. Oh, there's a request. Sorry. This is new to me, guys. Forgive me. This is live television, folks. Live, live television. Hello. Person. Hi, it's Woody. I want to answer your question very quickly before my door, uh, the door knocks. Okay. I don't. I think the answer is no, sure. and I'm going to speak as a parent, okay. not as a teacher. Okay. Um, as a parent, I feel that my child mm. just wants spoon feeding all the mm. time. He's not capable of um, going out there and finding out for himself and, mm. and learning for himself using the resources that we know are huge out there sure. he, he wants he wants either mum to do it or hire a tutor or something like that where mm. he doesn't have to do any of the legwork himself really? now okay. do i believe the education system is to blame for that mm. a little bit and some of it is possibly as parents sometimes i know i am um slightly soft okay so how, if you don't mind me asking how old is how old is your Young man. So my son's 17. Oh, 17. He's doing his A-levels at the minute, yeah. Wow. And do you believe... So, obviously, you're an educator and you're a parent. What could... So I'm going to play devil's advocate here. What could education do to make him more independent? What could it could be done? What could have been... What would you have liked to have seen if you could go into his school and to, to, to kind of change this? What would you have liked to have seen? I think education at the minute, and a lot of people would agree, is moving away from students being independent mm -hmm. and being able to think for themselves. It's um, mm -hmm. I'm not against direct instruction at all, so sure. I don't want anybody. However, 
I think direct instruction does mean that we're moving away from them being able to think. And creativity, student mm. creativity is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to have to put you on. I'm going to have to mute because my door is, is someone on the door. No problem. Like I said, Thank you. I'll, I will come back. No mm-hmm. problem. See, that's the problem with Amazon. They, they have no consideration of live TV shows. They have no consideration of radio shows. That is the problem. That is the difficulty of running it. But thank you so much. I really appreciate your contribution. Um, and that segues nicely into what I was going to ask. Did So the question I want to ask, especially for some of you older lot, some of you older lot, I know you, I see you, you're using the anti-wrinkle cream like me. I'm a millennial, okay? I'm a millennial. That's all I'm going to say about my age. I want to say proudly, that I was around before the internet, proud with pride, okay? I say it with chest, as the young people would say in school. <laughs> I tell them that. It's so funny. When I go and teach, and it's like, you know, I lived before the internet. It's like, sir, how did you do that, though? Like, if you wanted to know information, what would you do? I said, there was something called a library, young man. And that's what we did. What we did was we'll go literally every Saturday. My mum, bless her, bless her heart, she would take me to the library. You know, we went on the bus, we went on the 86 bus, take me to the library go upstairs in the library, photocopy what I needed, then come home. It will take a process of hours. And I, say, I look at this kid and I'm like, imagine doing that to get the information that you needed. Anybody out there who remembers the encyclopedia salesman? Anybody or salespeople, should I say? Anybody remember that? I'm sure at my age. No one? When they used to come to your door and sell you like the Britannia encyclopedia? I'm the only person. No, I don't know. Maybe I come from a, a certain household. My mom used to get very excited. African lady, bless her heart. She was very, very excited. Oh, yes, this man can come in. I was like, no, mum, I don't want an encyclopedia. And there's like eight thick encyclopedias. They were so heavy. You used to come with like a trunk of encyclopedias. And it was like, and it was like 150 quid for all these books. Yes. Thank you, Leon. <laughs> I'm not alone, am I? I'm not alone. I remember them and they used to come and they were the slickest salespeople as well. It's like, you know, have the access to the information at your hand and all this stuff. It's like, they made it sound so high tech. It was just a bunch of reference books. And my mum got duped into to buying them. Actually, not duped, should I say. It was very good. But imagine now, those poor people are unemployed. Disruption. There you go. So, anybody, if anybody wants to call in, call in again. Um, so the question I want to ask is, did formal education prepare you for the real world? Did it make you into the handsome young man, young person, young woman that you are today? Did it help you? How did formal edu- education help you in the real world? Or did it help you? Do you believe that you had gaps in your knowledge? Now, for me, I can only talk about myself. I wasn't the, the best person in school, unfortunately. That's why I think it was uh, it's fate that uh, I, I'm a teacher. I think all the, it's karma. I'm a living embodiment of karma. I was one of the worst kids in the school. Honestly, I had a talent. It was like I was like Mozart of disruption in my school. Hence why I think I wrote a book about it. So... Um, Formal education for me, if I'm going to be really serious, I, I didn't, I found it hard when I was younger. This was pre-internet to kind of connect what I was learning to how the real world operated. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, it was great uh, to learn to read and write. That's a very key skill, <laughs> learning to read and write. But in terms of, you know, going forward in the world and, you know, really learning the ropes, it was very, I, I found it not very helpful to me especially for me my university experience it wasn't great because I was kind of like I was doing naughty things which I'm not going to say on a public forum I was doing very naughty things in my first year I can barely remember what I did on my first year I don't know if any of you guys were like me I was doing very naughty things I was going to the student union I was having drinks and I was uh yeah anyway let's said about that the better 
<laughs> so I can barely remember my first year of university. It's only when I got into the world of work that I really under, you know, I was thinking, wow, there's a lot of things that I don't know. And may I say it, maybe I might get myself in trouble. Oh, somebody's coming. Is someone here? Yes. What is going on? You know what? I have no control over who is ringing in. It's just like, you know, it's like I've got my front doors open and anybody can walk in. That's how I kind of feel. <laughs> That's how I'm feeling at the moment. So it's good. It's a friendly face. It's, a, it's not yeah. like the ends. It's not like East London. Go for it. Nah. Talk to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nah. I, just wanted to, I just wanted to quickly jump in before I, I become a, um, a passive listener and say, yeah. to answer your first question, yeah. um, school, but not just primary, secondary school, but mm. higher education as well, mm. like education mm. in general, isn't mm. preparing young people or even mature people who come back mm. to... Um, education for the world for for the world because basically mm. everything is about achieving targets mm. being high up on league tables getting those awards and to yeah. do that we're basically bringing edu what we teach and the way we teach down towards can can we get you to pass this thing can we get you sure. to pass it can we get to pass it highly and then can we get you into a job, not the job you did your degree for? Now, obviously, if mm, your uh, degree right. is teaching, more time you're going to be a teacher. But if you do um, like social sciences, like psychology, criminology, where you've got loads of choices, sure. um, mm -hmm. a lot of the jobs that a lot of the jobs that the people are getting that they put on there, oh yeah, ninety percent mm. of our graduates got uh, got a job. A lot of them jobs are in 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 places where they don't need the degree; they're just yeah. into work. And I think. All people trying to do right now, and it's something I'm pushing it back against because, like that last call, I Brilliant. like to see creativity, I like to see yeah. some in independence, but um, sure. they're just trying to hit those mm -hmm. targets, get those you know tangible mm -hmm. outcomes. Those um, there's a word I'm looking for um, that it's like targets, but you know, get get, I get, no, get no, their uh, quantifiers, their, their metrics, up, yes, the metrics, and, and, yeah, and, and, and that and that's it, and and it's really sad to see because I remember. I mean, I'm like you. I was at school before there was a, a national curriculum. There you go. Um, <laughs> Don't say your age. You're, 20, you're 21. You're 21. Just keep it at that, yeah? You're 21 forever. Yeah, and I remember being in, in school and the teachers were just letting us learn and we learned mm. and we were just, um, you know what I mean? And we knew stuff. Sure. Like, I remember one teacher teaching us about junctions on, mm. on the motorway. Like, and, wow. and, and you might think to yourself, you don't need like why are you learning about junctions and motorways, but realistically, I'm 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 now still remember parent. that right? Tell, yeah, telling my kids about ju why junctions and motorways and all these other little little tidbits from the hidden curriculum that sure. is a for, like, the informal curriculum, not the hidden. Sorry, the yeah. informal curriculum that these teachers were giving us. But now yeah. we're not supposed to be giving students that we're supposed to just be sticking to the scheme of work, getting yeah. them to pass what we need to them to pass, and then keeping it mm -hmm. pushing but That's i just want to jump on and, and then um Give my two pence on it. No, you're two. That's not two pence, sir. You gave two pounds. In fact, you gave two hundred pounds. I saw King Charles's face on the money. It's it was beautiful what you gave. And Leo, can I just say for the for the for the thing we've known each other for a long time in terms of the Twitterverse. I think during that yeah, the, yeah. the hell that was lockdown, we got to know each other. So it's beautiful to hear your voice. Are you from? You're a Brummie, aren't you? 
You're from yeah, man, of course, man, born and bred, man, with my whole chest, bro. There you say it with every part of your chest, every follicle. There you go, say it with every molecule. One of my good friends is from Dudley, so that's how I know. And he used to always say to me, because don't take the mickey out of my accent from Dudley or punch you. I was like, okay, I was like, fair play. I'm going to leave you Birmingham people alone. But no, anyway, that, but hold on, you can't pleasure. say you Birmingham people and say Dudley. Sorry. That's, that, that, but Dudley's <laughs> outside, outside. I mean, we're cousins, but you get me. It's, it's slightly yeah. different. But yeah, man, I, I ride for the Dudley people, then shout out to them. Yeah, shout right. out to the Dudley people. Yeah, I don't know yeah. East Coast, West Coast war of Birmingham here. I'm sorry to anybody from Birmingham here. I really do apologize for my ignorance here. I don't want to nah, get nah, myself in trouble or teach the court radio. Mids. If, if you're unsure, West say West Mids and then that covers everybody. There you go. Aston Villa. Right. There you go. <laughs> Boo. Boo. <laughs> Birmingham City, bro. What are you talk about? Birmingham City all day, every day. But, no, yeah, man. All right, the nice car. Appreciate that. Thank you. That's, right, that's re- Thank you, sir. So thank you very much. So, um, yeah, that, that's very powerful. I just wanted to piggyback on what Leon was saying. I was talking about the hidden curriculum. And again, for the record, for some of the people in here, some of you people might be thinking, is Carl just poo-pooing all over education? No, I'm not. I'm not poo-pooing all over education. I'm just going to say a quick story. Um, well, I might as well. It's my show. Uh, I'm only joking. But no, I'm not poo-pooing over education at all. Education saved my life. I'll tell you that for a fact. And I, I will always share my story in that particular regard. I won't say where I'm from. I'm from a very nasty part of East London. A part of East London, you can Google this, that was voted the worst place to live two years in a row. The only town I know, two years in a row, that was voted the worst place to live. I was raised amongst drug dealers. I was raised amongst all manner of people. And I was going a certain way as well. And it took a certain individual by the name of, I called him Uncle Eric, big up Uncle Eric, if he ever hears this, who saved my life because he taught me to fix up my life, sort myself out, and, you know, really be responsible. And one of the avenues for that was education, getting myself the proper qualifications, going through the proper means. So I will always be an advocate for education, always. I will never, so I don't want anyone to think this guy's anti-education, not anti-education at all. I will always be an advocate for education. I have told many of the young people that I, I teach, especially when I was doing my needs coordination work and alternative provision work, a lot of those guys, again, I've taught people who are drug dealers. I've taught people who were victims of um, crime, uh, or perpetrators of crime. And I said, look, this is one way you can come out. And that's through education. But because I love something, consider this like your partner. Many of you, and if, I don't know, clap, show me if you're, you're married or you've got a partner, a long-term partner. Anybody, I'm presuming a lot of you, yep, I'm seeing one or two coming through. You might love the person dearly, but there are things about them that annoy you. <laughs> Let's be really honest. You can be with your partner for years and years and years, I've been with my partner. My wife will kill me. I'm not going to say any of the things that annoy me. I love her to bits. I love her with every ounce and molecule of my body. But there are things that she does which annoy me sometimes. And there's things that I do to her which annoy her. All right? That's just love and that's life. And that's the way I see the education system. Much as I love the education system and the benefits that it brings, like a long-term relationship, you have to sometimes go and get that counselling. You have to go and get that mentorship and learn how to love each other again. Anyway, that's not, that's not happening. We're in a beautiful marriage before my wife says, are you saying our business on live radio? No, I'm not, darling. I'm not. I promise you. I'm not saying our business. But yes, going back onto what Leon was saying, um, I'm not poo-pooing on the education system, but there are some serious things that I think we need to do and we need to reform. And that kind of goes on to what I was going to segue nicely into. So one of the things, one of my heroes of education when I started getting into education was a, a chap called Sir Ken Robinson. Anybody familiar? Sir Ken Robinson? Does that name ring a bell to anybody in the crowd? Okay. Okay. 
Well, I'm going to explain who he is. He was an educationalist. He's late now. He passed away. Fantastic. There's a bit of a, a delay, I think. I've realised on this space is a bit of delay. Fantastic. So he's an educationalist. He was under, I think, either Gordon Brown's government or Tony Blair's government. He was an advisor in terms of how we do schooling and education. And his TED Talk was one of the most uh, watched TED Talks of all time. I don't know the exact figure now, but I know it's in the millions. And it was, um, does create, does school, do schools kill creativity? And I've got a quote here, which I really love. And he said, some of the most brilliant creative people I know did not do well in school. Many of them didn't really discover what they could do, who they really were, until they left school and recovered from their education. Okay? So just to piggyback onto what Leon's point was, I feel sometimes that we are so... Look, one of my favourite sayings is that we're teaching 21st century um, kids in 18th century classrooms, right? I'll say that again. 21st century kids in 18th century classrooms. So if I went back to Victorian England, I had a TARDIS and I went in a time machine and I went and I found a, a chap called Montgomery who taught in one of the first schools, first state-sanctioned schools. And I said, Montgomery, come with me. Imagine he looks a bit like Jacob Rees-Mogg. So I can imagine, just imagine... I can just see him looking like Jacob Rees-Mogg here. <laughs> and I said, follow me into the future, Montgomery. Okay, and I'm going to take you to the classroom of the future. If you took the whiteboard away and you took away maybe some of the equipment, like the sound equipment, would it really be that different from what he was used to teaching? In fact, I probably could give him some of the textbooks and give him some of the materials and he could probably teach a class. That is how our education system has rarely changed since its inception. And this is a problem. And I think it's ripe for disruption. And we need to look at things. And especially, and again, I'm going to talk really personally here, especially if you're coming from a global majority background, this is really key, right? Because there's certain things that you will not learn in school which can hinder your progress in your career. There's certain codes, there's certain things, ways of speaking and manners of speaking. I come, as I said, I come from a particular town, working class town, and there's a lot of things I didn't understand when you're talking about, especially if you're talking about, um, again, I've got to be really careful what I explain here, but if, especially if you want to go into the upper echelons of society, or you're dealing with certain types of individuals, you need to learn there's certain codes and ways of communicating. And that is not being taught. That's a hidden curriculum, which is important. And this is what I explain to my young people. You may be able to talk to your friends in a certain way, but when you get into the world of work, it's going to have to be a different story completely. So these are the things that we need to kind of consider and these are the things that we need to kind of talk about. So the I really feel that we're up for, it's ripe for, for, for change and we need to do that because of the speed of the way things are going. The second question, and again, if anybody wants to come in on this, feel free. The second question that I would want or, or which I believe we need to answer as educationists is that there are many young people that are cheated by the narrative that Getting a university degree guarantees a solid financial future. What went wrong with education? And are we guilty as educationalists of pushing a false narrative? Now, I'm going to give you another quote because I love quotes. Quotes are nice. Stops you thinking. Allows other people to think for you. There you go. Right. So Aviva, the insurance company, uh, they also look into, um, they do insurance for everything. But there's an interesting quote from them. And they were basically saying that um, for most millennials, people of my particular generation, 49% of them cannot save for the future. So this is whether for deposits for houses, you name it, right? 49% of them. 49% have less than £400 savings. So if something went wrong, i.e. their car or the washing machine, 51% couldn't cover that, all right? Now, 
if we're looking at especially what's going on with university fees, I was very lucky. I was very, very lucky because I was, again, don't try and work out my age, people. I know some of you are nosy, okay? Don't try and do it. You won't work it out. Anyway, <laughs> I was the first generation of university students that had to pay a fee. And I remember it was only £1,000. Anybody in that, in that particular... Who, who only paid a £1,000 to go uni? Anybody in the room? No? You lot got bumped. You got cheated. I was the only one that... <laughs> <laughs> I only paid a thousand pounds a year. A thousand pounds, yes, I, I thought so. Well done, you got a good deal. So I paid a thousand pounds a year, and I never forget when I went to university. It was a big uproar. The student union, everyone was going crazy. Like we're paying a thousand pounds for fees. Oh my gosh, this government! Now I look at my nephew who went to university, and he paid nine thousand five hundred. I'm like, thousand pounds is a great deal, isn't it? <laughs> Like, I got a good deal. I got a very good deal. Although my student loan statement doesn't say that, I got a very, very good deal. Now, are we, push are we guilty of pushing a false narrative? Is it the case where, you know, the thing that I was told when I was young is you go to uni, you'll get a very high-paying job, you'll be able to buy, buy a house, you'll be able to go to Monte Carlo and, you know, meet Lewis Hamilton. Did clearly, it didn't work that way for me. But do you feel that we are pushing a false narrative onto kids? Is uni the only way to go? Going to university... If you don't go to uni, I remember specifically, maybe it's my parents. I come from African parents. My mum was like, if you don't go to university, you're just going to... It's very dramatic with African parents. Everything is just so... It's, it's, it's black or white. My mum was like, if you don't go to university, you're going to be a failure in life. <laughs> there was no middle ground. There's no excuse. I was like, mum, there's other careers I can go into. My mum was like, no, you'll just fail in life. You'll be useless. And I was like, wow, thanks, mum. Great for my confidence. Thank you very much. But should we still be pushing that? Is uni still the thing for everyone? I remember there was, there was almost a pressure to go to university. But when I talked to my nephew's generation, they're almost like, mm, university is not for everybody. I, I had a good mate of mine, I remember, who at the time, me and my a group of friends were going to university. And he was like, oh, I'm not going to go to university. I'm going to go and be an electrician. And again, foolish well, not foolish, but at the time it's like, no, you've got to go uni, you've got to study, you've got to do this. He goes, no, I'm going to go to be an apprentice, electrician, I'm going to go and get my, I'm going to be a sparky, that's what they call them, I'm going to be a sparky, I'm going to go and get my qualifications, and then I'm just going to go into the world of work. That guy, can I tell you, not to blow up his spot, that guy, he runs rings around all of us in terms of the, his finances. He, he's, he's driving the latest cars, he's always going to Dominica, it's his favourite place, he's always sending snaps, I'm so jealous on Instagram. He hasn't got any student loans. And now I look back on it, it's like, we're trying to push him into university. But he found his path. He found his way, you know? And we've got to think about that. And even as an educator now, I, and again, I might be guilty for this. I'm, I, I am very careful what I say to my young people about what they should do for their careers. I'm very, very, very careful. I don't know if any of you, if any of you guys here agree with me or disagree. It's fine. Come and debate me. I've got no issue with that. But I don't believe just pushing this monomyth of university is the only way you can go forward is, is right. Because university is not right for everybody. Like my mate, he was in school when I sat next to him. He was, that guy couldn't, he, he was not academic. That was just not his thing. He was always getting kicked out, but he found his way. He found something that was good for him. And I think sometimes as teachers, we can fall into that myth. We can fall into that myth that, you know, if you can read a book. I've got a, a mate of mine that went to Cambridge and he's thick as two planks of wood. Forgive me. I'm not going to say a name, but I just look and I think, wow, you went uni. <laughs> you went Cambridge, you know. So there. Oh, can I hear somebody? Has somebody come through my door? 
Hello, it's me again. You just keep on wanting to go. You you just want to come in and just, you know, right, you know, you're the type that's just looking and you know, you're casing the joint, aren't you? No, I'm only joking. Thank you. Come in, come in, come in, come in. No, I just wanted to come in real quick on, on the it. uni thing because um, mm-hmm. for me, uh, obviously we're from the same era, but I never went to I never went to uni till I was 34. Okay, wow. Um, and the reason why I went, I, I spent a lot of time working in logistics, supply chain management, really? and I worked my way up. And got and got to a good place, but then I found myself constantly going for jobs, not getting them, okay. and then ending up training somebody to be my manager. Oh, um, and the di- and the difference between me and them is they had a degree, I didn't. Okay, that was and that was and so you can get reasonably far without one, but then there comes a point mm-hmm. where there's a ceiling for you, sure. and the, to unlock that ceiling the degree comes in handy. So mm-hmm. f- for me, the advice I always give young people, I'm giving my own children, my own children, my, do- my oldest is 15 mm-hmm. now. And I'm telling them, look, get your qualifications. If you want to go uni, go uni now. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't, even if you don't want to do the thing, you've got the certification. So Absolutely. then when it comes time for you to work, you're good because you've already got it. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, back in the day, you used to be able to get good jobs at A-levels. Now, degree is the minimum. Absolutely. Um. So I feel like if you've got the capability to go to uni, you definitely should go, even if it's just to get the the quals to to support you. Because I hate for people to be in my position sure. where you're good at what you do, you've got years and years experience, but then you you can't go mm. that extra extra step because you don't have that paperwork. I understand. And then you you you're training people to be your manager when realistically you should just be the manager. That's... But yeah, I just wanted to jump no, in no, and, no, say, no, and say that. Please hold that thought. No, that's wicked because um. I've had that experience. That's one of the most frustrating things in a workplace where you're training a young a young person to be, and you know it as well. It's like when your boss says, "You know what? Show me all your tricks." You know that stuff you do on the phone. When I used to, before I became a teacher, it happened to me. I'll, I'll tell that story after, but I want to ask you a key question. But yeah, it's the most, and you know now. I'm, that's why I, sometimes I'm a bit stingy with what I know. It's like, can you show? No, nah, I don't think I could teach that. <laughs> it comes natural it comes natural but a question i've got for you leon which is and thank you very much for that that comment um for that uh, what you've just said because i agree with you what do you think in terms what about the student loan situation like i'm presuming again please forgive me if i'm wrong i'm presuming that for your daughter to go to university she will go through the loan system well, yeah, man, I ain't, I ain't got thirty grand to <laughs> in my pocket to pay for it. <laughs> Absolutely. How do you feel about that in yeah. terms of? I know you know the, the, there's the thing, the thing of you know when they say okay, it doesn't matter, you know, you, you could pay it off one day and all that type of stuff. Let me tell you something. I got a promotion, and I was thinking, wow, I got a nice promotion. You know when you feel it's a tidy promotion, you worked hard, you went into the yeah. interview or sweating, you come out there, you feel like you've just spoken to Lord Sugar. And you you're on the winning team, <laughs> and you come out of there. And when I got my first payslip, I was shocked at how much the student loan because you hit a particular threshold. Student loan, yes. it's like the gremlin. Do you remember? That's what I was just about yeah, to say. You, you know, know Grim- is it gremlins <laughs> where you had Mowgli and you pour water on him? It said, "Don't yes. pour water on him uh, after nine or feed him." I can't remember. It was one of them things. And he becomes- yeah, yeah, he's, he was a he was a mug- Gizmo who was the Mugway in it. Gizmo, he was the Mugway. Yeah, 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 don't yeah. pour any water on him. And I kind of thought that's what happened with my student loan. I, somebody. Somebody yeah. at HMRC or student loan company are like, oh, Carl got promoted. And, woo, we're going to come for him. <laughs> and it hurt. <laughs> no, 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 when you, you got yeah. arm. So, again, it does matter because now I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's like my promotion is basically being killed off by my student loan. So how do you – yeah, yeah so good. So how would you feel about that with your daughter? Um, for for me, it's 
it's the it's the it's the it's the belly of the beast and it's mm. the way the world yeah. like you either you either take the loan and do it or you find a way to like a lot of people do they work through it and basically the parents are supporting them mm. and their job is basically paying their student fees yeah um yeah so we me we we can probably have by the time she's she's there if if i'm in a situation where you know what we'll cover you we can cover your first year cool we'll cover your first year then see how the sick what happens for the second year mm-hmm. and so on and so forth but it is it's it's basically for me. I don't know this. I don't want to get all super super duper political. No, but for me, it's a it's a, it's a student loans are a way of keeping working class people in the same position. Mm. Because if we are spending all our money on our children's education, then we can't spend to build up. Mm. And then once our children are getting all them loans, then they can't save to build up. And it's it's almost like they're using education and the way they've set the system as a form of social control. Wow. Um, and, and that, that's that's how I see it. But it's, at the same time, it's like, well, what else can you do? You need this paperwork. Yeah. This is the only way to get the paperwork. You either pay out of pocket, yeah. and then you can't do certain things, yeah. like build that extension, buy that new house, yeah. get that new car, whatever. Your kids uh, have to get the loans to get the paperwork, yeah. and then they're ending up paying the loans and not being able to save that money to build up and whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a form of social control, but what, what are we going to do unless we're burning it all down and changing the system like you got to play the game no, it's it? powerful what you said Leon <laughs> it's powerful I thought for a second you're going to go full Kanye West there but I'm glad you didn't <laughs> oh, no 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 <laughs> you know I, I miss old Kanye I miss old Kanye but anyway yeah. um, no you're, you're absolutely right, then. thank nice you one. Leon I appreciate that no you're absolutely right, right. Um, just to piggyback on what Leon was saying it's a, it's a catch 22 isn't it because you, you you do become aware that even though they say the loan is not like a secured loan or whatnot, whatever you, it's still a number next to your name. And when I look at, I don't know if any of you in the audience are, are like me, um, when you get that letter from the student uh, loans company uh, and it comes through and it, the number never changes. <laughs> like, the number never changes. I don't know if any of you have had that experience where you look at it and it's like, what, what's going on? I've been working hard and I see you taking money out of my student loan, but it just doesn't feel like it's going down. So it's one of those things, and, and Leon's absolutely right. I mean, in America, I think Joe Biden was talking about, um, I think, again, forgive me, I could be completely wrong, and any, any, anybody that's on, please jump on and correct me, but I believe that he wanted to do, I've forgotten the term he used, but basically he wanted to um, half or take a significant chunk of student loans away from a, a particular group of people to, to ease the burden of student loans, and that became a political football in America because I think their loan system is slightly different. Uh, to ours but he was saying that we're putting a burden on our young people so that's really interesting so no thank you very much Leon you've given a lot of food for thought in that regard and you know social mobility is a problem it is a real problem and that's something that I as I've started to grow older I've I've really realized that you know certain people are giving legs up um, and we we really need to look at how equitable our system is in fact I told a story and I'm going to tell this story again about this, because what Leon's saying has really hit me. Um, there was a young lady. So while I was being the Osama bin Laden of my school, and, you know, I, there's so many tales I could tell you. Maybe if, you know, Tom Rogers invites me back, I'll tell you all the tales of my acts of terrorism against my school. Um, there was a young lady who I went to school with who was the polar opposite of me. She was the polar opposite of me. She, her dream um, was to be a barrister. That was her dream. She's very studious. She always listened in class. In fact, she was the one telling me to stop whiling out in class. And basically, cut a long story short, she came from a working class background, very similar to me. Um, we lost contact. 
Um, and years, a couple of years back, about five years back, I ran into her and we got chatting and I said, did you make it? Like, did you become a barrister? And she said, no, I didn't become a barrister. I'm in HR. And I said, why? That was your dream. That's all you ever spoke about. So she explained the process. I didn't understand the process. So obviously you go to university. I think she went to University of Nottingham and you do a law degree. But then after you do a law degree, you have to take something called the bar. Now, I didn't know what this was. So the bar is a, is, is a special one-year condensed degree which prepares you to go into law. Now, this is not um, funded by the government. You have to self-fund. Her mum, bless her, worked in a shoe shop, um, used her savings to get her to do the bar. And you have to be in the, the top uh, 95% or 97% percentile, meaning that if you get below 94% in this bar exam or whatever assessment that you take, you cannot... That's it. That's the end of your law career. So she got 97%, which was brilliant. You know, so already she's doing really well. But there was a problem. Now, to be a barrister, you have to enter something called the Chambers. Now, again, I didn't know what this was. So I asked her, what is a Chambers? And she said, basically, this is where you take an apprenticeship in law. So you go in as an apprentice and then you become a researcher and you basically work your way up. It's usually about a seven-year process. But the only thing is, she did not have the contacts. She did not have the contacts to get into these chambers. Now, what you tend to find is that the people that get ch into chambers, they come from families of lawyers. That's why you see families of lawyers or families of doctors. So they've got the connections. And what you tend to find in particular circles, especially if you go to one of the elite universities like Oxford or Cambridge, you know, your dad's a judge. And you say, you know, my little boy, Monty, he wants to go to these chambers. Will you let him in? Or will you let my daughter into your firm? So on and so forth. This young lady who worked her whole life to try and get into these chambers couldn't get in. She, for a year, she was going there. She said, look, I'll make teas for you. I'll do whatever. I'll do unpaid um, internship. She couldn't do it. So basically, after two years, she had to give up on her dream. Because what they started to say was, what have you been doing for two years? She couldn't get anything. And then she made her way into law, uh, into um, HR. And she's doing very well in HR. But I did think to myself, she was very talented. She was very astute. And because of, again, she didn't have the con uh, the, the, the contacts in these particular um, arenas, she couldn't get in. So look at the talent that we've lost there. So this is another thing that we have to kind of think about when we talk about education. And, and it, it kind of annoys me, again, talking from lived experience where they say, you know, if you work really hard, you know, you will get, you know, you'll get the job you deserve. And I'm like, sometimes you don't, unfortunately, depending on your particular background. And that's unfair. And that's something, and again, it might make some people in the room uncomfortable or future listeners, but this is, this is, this is fact. Okay, this is absolute fact in terms of, um, I think, in terms of the UK, in terms of uh, how meritocratic we are, we've actually got one of the lo lowest figures. In fact, I wish I did my research before, but I think places like India and other places are, are more meritocratic, meaning that if you come from a particular socioeconomic background, you've, you're more likely to get into the so-called quote-unquote upper echelons of society. And these are things that really, and when I think about you know, when I talk to my young people, this is the things I think about, you know, because she was very talented and I wish she did make it and I wish things were fairer. But hey, ho, it's life. All right. Time is going. One or two more points to discuss. So looking at my doctor's handwriting in terms of notes in this same report. And wow, the room is really full up. Can I just say thank you very much? From, and a lot of people have stayed. I just want to say a massive thank you for every single person that stayed in this room. This was nerve wracking for me to do. I've never done this before talk to myself well I've talked to myself several times in my life but um <laughs> to do it in a public forum is never easy it's never easy so thank you very much everybody that stayed in to listen I'm really honored that you've you've listened to my musings for so long now last point I think I'll discuss for time in fact I might I don't know 
I don't know if Tom is in the room, if he could tell me how much time I've got. I think we said uh, 8.30, but, you know. Anyway, I'm going to go to 8.30, and if I've got any more time, then I will go for time. Okay, so another point. So what they said in this report, so going back to PwC, Price Waterhouse Coopers, they said that what employers uh, will look for, so the employers of the future in 2030, they are going to be looking for certain key skills. So the key skills that they're looking for are adaptability, problem-solving, collaboration skills, emotional intelligence, creativity and innovation, leadership skills, digital skills, risk management skills, STEM, and entrepreneurial skills. Okay? That's a lot. So what they want now, and what they're saying employers will be looking for, is not necessarily your degree or your educational background, but is they'll be looking, they'll be devising certain tests to see how uh, equipped you are with these skills. And they'll they hand-wave certain degrees. So I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with suits. Anybody familiar with suits in the room? When we talk about Meghan Markle, that's how I knew who Meghan Markle was, through Suits. Okay, So Suits, yeah, there's a lot of Suits fans in here. For those who are the uninitiated, and again, I'm not an expert on Suits, all right? So don't shoot me. I don't want anyone coming on the call like Will Smith. I'm not Chris Rock, okay? Don't come and try and slap me or anything right? like that, right? <laughs> okay? But from the uninitiated, from what I understand of Suits, is basically it's about a particular individual who's like a genius. He's a, he's a genius, but he, he flunked out of law, like Harvard law. He didn't get his actual degree. And then he goes to this prestigious law firm. And basically his boss is like this super high-flying lawyer. But he recognises his talent. and But he has to hide the fact that he doesn't have a degree. And obviously, if he tries cases without a degree and they find out, then all it, it will ruin the firm, basically. So that's where the centre of drama is. But this guy is super clever. He's got like a, a photographic memory. So I always think about that. So this is my last point. I think time, I've only got 10 minutes to go. So this is my last point. What I want to ask people is, do you think that entrepreneurial skills, the ability to run businesses, start creative enterprises, will be as important as getting a, fun, um, getting a traditional education? So with our increasing job insecurity, economic disruption, should our students be learning how to be entrepreneurs as well as um, learning whatever their core competencies are, geography, history, dentistry, medicine? What do you guys think about that? Right? Now, really quickly, before anybody jumps on, I'm from East London. I think that's just built into our culture. Any East Londoners in the room? Nobody? I think it's just built into our culture. Like, when I think of East London, although it's South, we're talking about only fools and horses. It's kind of like, that was, <laughs> that was my memories of East London. Just market stalls. Somebody always had something to sell. Somebody always had something that, you know, you always had a friend that said, do you want to buy some trainers? Do you want to buy a phone? Do you want to buy this? And, you know, bless my mum. My mum was a, she used to run out on market stall as well. So I had a, a front row kind of seat into um, entrepreneurship. And I think for me, it served me very, very well um, in regards to um, finding jobs, finding work, and obviously launching my own venture. As I said, I'm the, the author of the Actionary Teacher. Um, and when I launched my first book, it was completely self-published. I didn't have a clue of what to do. But I managed to find a way because uh, some people say I've got the gift of the gab. There you go. <laughs> so, but as I've looked across and I've looked at um, what's going on in the economy, as they're saying that, you know, the 40-40 the, the plan is dead, they say. 40 hours a week for 40 years and you get a nice gold watch and you get a nice retirement is, is no longer plausible. They expect that people of my generation to have uh, millennials 
to have 12 uh, career changes in a lifetime now. 12, you know, and it, it sounds implausible, but I can even count for myself. Uh, I'm trying to think of the jobs I've done. I've done many jobs. I was a charity mugger, believe it or not. I was that guy. You know, when you're busy, you're, you're on your way to work and you just want to go to work. And I'm that guy that's from particular charities I won't name. And I'm trying to stop you in the street and make you sign up. You know those guys, like, can you please sign up? Just a pound. That, that, you know, when you want to go to Morrison's or you want to go to Tesco, you just want to get your shopping. I was that guy that would stop you and try and make you sign up. <laughs> you know, I was that guy. So, you know, I've done a lot of jobs. But, you know, teaching, to put it in context, teaching is probably my sixth or seventh career change or particular job outside of remit. Now I'm an author. You could say that's eight. Okay. So do you think entrepreneurial jobs or, sorry, entrepreneurial skills are important in this particular economy. Should we be encouraging kids to learn how to market and how to sell and how to, I'm trying to think of other business things, how to, to, to run finances, how to talk to people, how to lead people. Are these as critical as learning geography, history, maths, English? I don't know what you guys think. I think, yep, I'm seeing a lot of thumbs up. Absolutely, 100%, absolutely. My, my opinion, unless anybody wants to challenge me, and I'm welcome to be challenged because I am not, a, I'm not a, 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 a somebody who is a, a professor, um, but I think it's absolutely critical. Um, looking at the way that the world is going, looking at the fit and looking at um, what I mentioned before, I think there's, I think growing up, I remember like looking at my parents, you know, they were very loyal to their jobs. Their jobs looked after them and it was fine. They, they managed to get away with it. But when I think about, for example, my generation's expected to retire at 70 years of age now, if that. Um, the life expectancy of a male in this country is 72. So can you imagine I'm working for 70 years of my life and then I get two years off holiday before I hop off this mortal coil, okay? <laughs> um, current statistics also suggest as well, I read the other day in The Independent, they were saying that I think 50 to 60% of retirees do not have enough. Their pension will not cover um, their retirement anymore because of course we're living longer lives um, and a lot of people are forced back into work are these the you know and when I think about these and this is this current now in 2022 what's it going to look like for up-and-coming generations I think it's absolutely critical um, especially with the internet I think the internet is the great leveler in regards to um, career jobs um, in, in regards to jobs I've had my young people say to me I want to be a YouTuber and before I used to laugh <laughs> I used to laugh and say what on earth are you going to do playing FIFA or whatnot but when you look at somebody like um, what's that fella's face his name it's going to annoy me now it's jumped out of my mind he's done a lot of boxing as well put it in the messages ah oh, he's a, a British Nigerian guy he fought Logan Paul it's going to drive me absolutely crazy but basically um, there's this particular gentleman He's worth 80 million pounds and he started off as a YouTuber. You've got the likes of these Instagram influencers, you know, Twitter, social media influencers. So is it fair to say to our kids, oh, somebody's at the door? Who's ASI. at the door? That's the one. I thought it was a competition, <laughs> brother. I was coming in. I thought it was a competition. <laughs> Two of you were running through that door. Oh, they're tapping, 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 tapping. Request, request. Mr. Khalil, how are you doing, sir? Thank you. Welcome to my welcome to my show. You invited me on yours. Welcome to mine. Feels good. Thanks, bro. You've done very well. You've done very well, man. I'm trying my very best, you know. It feels like, you know, when you buy your first property, it's that feeling of having your own keys 
You know, yeah. you're just standing. You know, like on Insta, where they just you have the picture outside your new house. That's how I kind yeah, of feel at the moment. I get that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a novel experience, isn't it? Just talking to yourself for, for an hour. <laughs> like, it's, it's actually, it's so mad. It's you so... get you get used to it. Actually, you, you 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 do have the stage fright, but you get used to it. But you know, people like yourself just knocking on the door. You know, what I find surreal uh, uh, surreal is that I have no control over this door system. I just feel a bit naked at the moment. It's like I've just got a front door open and anyone can walk through. But I'm glad it's you, Khalil. I'm, I'm flattered. <laughs> I'm flattered, bro. It could be worse. What are your thoughts, sir? What are your thoughts? Um, I'm in agreement with mo- with mm-hmm. no. I want to say most with, with what you're telling with what you're saying. I get those. You, yeah, there's an ideal situation where we're saying where mm. everyone's talking about schools being uh, grades factories and um, having their, their priorities. Uh, their priorities only within the the rules of the game that they're currently in. And at the moment, the yeah. rules are that you need the schools are judged on certain criteria, often linked to exams. So they're trying to play that game. Mm. However, mm. there are schools that are managing to play the game in terms of focus on the academics but also when it comes to personal the personal development side where you have Mm -hmm. a bit more of a wide um you have a bit more freedom i guess is Mm. the word you have a bit more autonomy that's actually even better a bit more autonomy over what you do with your students in that kind of personal development section it's Mm -hmm. on the leaders of the schools to think right we know we're putting an emphasis on the curriculum but what are we doing to actually enrich these children's experiences what are we doing in terms Mm. of um, leadership workshops, what we do in terms of interview practices, what we turn doing in terms mm. of entrepreneurial mindset or or um, building up mm. their their actual what's the word their character what's the word sure. um, character development yeah it's character well yeah, it's character development their profiles it's, it's all yeah. the softer side of of things mm-hmm. rather than just the academia so there is there are schools that do that but it's mm-hmm. it's it's not what some schools prioritise. Depends on what situation. It's a luxury sure. for some schools to say, right, we know we've got the academics in the bag, so we can now, we can now mm. focus on the on the personal development side without people thinking that we're just trying to. We've forgotten about the grades, but sure. I think yeah, there are some schools that do it. I think they'll be good to have a more emphasis on it. Um, so do you think, think it's just go on. sorry? So just to jump in your point, do you think it's a it's a case, especially for the more because I know you're 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 senior leader, right? So you have more yeah. of the strategic view of you know the whole picture. Do you think it's more of a case of when we're talking about curriculum design that we we and but you know in terms of curriculum, it's so jammed to the raft. It's it's it's, it's you know it's so jammed. Mm-hmm. It's a case of like when you and I remember because I, I did alternative provision and I was speaking to my head teacher saying we need to do A, B, and C. And they're like, Carl, where's the time? We yeah. literally allocated full time. So do you think it's a case? So just kind of jumping on there, could could especially senior leaders do more in terms of curriculum design to add this? Or is it just they most just don't have the capacity to do this? I think it's how you communicate when it comes to mm. curriculum. So you want mm. exam success should be a byproduct of a rich curriculum as opposed mm-hmm. to as opposed to what the curriculum is mm-hmm. built for. The curriculum shouldn't be built. To, for kids to, for, for kids only to do well in exams, the curriculum should be built mm. to open their minds to Absolutely. different areas. If it's history, it's supposed to make people actually interested in in history, not just pass mm. the history exam. Absolutely, and so yeah. on, and same with the geography and 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 the and especially languages. Like they should be, they should want to be interested in just wanting to explore different languages, understand how how mm-hmm. beneficial it is. So again, in an ideal world, you would design a curriculum that's that mm. gives the, the like heads of the department enough autonomy to say, you know what, how do you get 
people really interested in art? How do you get people to be yeah. really creative? How do you get them to, yeah. to, to go into music lesson? And instead of just thinking about how to pass the GCSE exam, they're thinking about how can I really harness my own creativity skills in this room via yeah. the music means. And that's, that comes yes. through curriculum design and an ethos that the school kind of has to then permeate through all the different departments. And then in an ideal world, then they do well in their exams, cool. But that's just, that's, a, that's by the bias. Well, not by the bias, mm. it's a byproduct of it as opposed to the, the main reason for it. But again, Absolutely. I think, yeah, that's, that takes a lot of like-minded individuals and it takes a, and it takes a school with a, with a vision that people mm. are buying into and they all understand what their purpose is in the head of the department. The heads of the department feeling like they can do, they can go mm. on these trips and they can go yeah. and get these kids to just to read about, read around the subject and explore different things, even though it might not come up on their exam. Mm. Yeah. The heads of the department need to feel like they have that autonomy. And when they yeah. do, they, they really get kids to become historians as opposed to people that can pass history exams. Absolutely. Um, so wow. it yeah, it is a design thing, yeah. Bro, that honestly, do you want you want to take over? Do you want your show? Back? <laughs> <laughs> wow! Don't I, tell I'm me, bro. I'm taking, a, I'm taking a step back for now. You're taking a step back now. You just, you know, yeah. honestly, I can tell you, I'm pro at this. That was such a a, a lucid, brilliant answer um, to that question. I think everything. I can't really even add anything onto that. It's just like watching Arsenal. You know, versus Chelsea, there's nothing more I can add <laughs> onto that performance. If there's any Tottenham supporters here, you can leave now. No, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. <laughs> it's a long time as Arsenal supporters that we can gloat. It's been we a can. couple of years of misery. So uh, I think I, I take these opportunities because I just got maybe it's the Arsenal thing in me. I just feel like this could go all go wrong. <laughs> it's just everyone's like, we're going to win the league. I'm like, this is Arsenal. I don't know if Arteta's kind of do it, but anyway, I'm talking football now. But no, everything you're saying is absolutely right. And I think, and again, I know I'm going to probably keep on beating this drum. Especially if you're looking at, um, when we talk, there's a lot of talk about social mobility as well, global majority children, children that are marginalised. I think this is even more imperative to them because some of the kids do not even know that these things exist. And it always amazes me when I, because when I was doing alternative provision, one of the things that I used to do was enrichment programmes. And it always amazed me. Now, thank you, Khalil, by the way. He's just, he's, he's done a, a ninja. He's just disappeared. Thank you. No, I'm, I'm here. I'm, oh, I'm you're here. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But no, thank you. No, but um, one of the things that I was very strong on was everything you said about character development, um, enrichment. I mean, if you've got a, a group of kids, you know, one of the things I always ask them, especially when I was teaching in East London, is like, yeah, I've got to defend this block and I've got to be here and all this. And I'm like, but do you own this block? Do you know there's, there's more things outside of this? you know, taking them out to the countryside, taking them out to places where they've never seen and things they've never experienced. And for me, what was key was when I went to, one of the great experiences for me with going to university was not even so much the course that I took, it was the people that I met. It was the first time I met someone from Israel. It's the first time I met someone from Palestine and they were communicating in the same class. And that's the, where I've discovered, you know, all the particular challenges with that. And, you know, people were talking civilly. It was the first time that I met so many different people from different walks of life. I had friends that went to different universities. One went to one in Ireland, one went to one in Scotland. I went to visit them. And it was the first time, again, I say it not so much with shame, but I, I, you know, I wasn't really a traveller because I didn't consider things like travel and seeing how other people live. And this is what enriched my mind and grew my mind to where I am today. And I needed those important things, um, those things. So I think it's very important. Again, I know that, of course, we're under pressure from the government to get these kids to pass these, you know, get these kids to get the grades. But it's important that we don't forget about enrichment. We don't forget about 
um, you know, teaching these kids to aspire to something different because you can only be what you can see. And for some of these kids, and again, mm. it's not even about race. I'm, I'm, it, we could even talk about from a socioeconomic standpoint. If all you've seen is a particular group of individuals doing a particular group of things, you're never going to step out of that. So everything you've said is absolutely pertinent and fantastic. Um, so thank you, Khalil. Thank you for coming to my front door. No worries, bro. Without knocking. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, man. Thank you. Appreciate that. No, I would say thank I, you for letting me in, but I realise you have no control over who comes I in. I have no yeah. control over it. I don't know who. I don't know if it's Tom. I, just letting people in. This is safeguarding here. <laughs> this is a serious safeguarding issue, Tom. I'm going to have to talk to you about that. Anyway, but thank you so much. It's all been friendly people. Brilliant. All right, man. Uh, appreciate that. Um, have I got any more on my doctor handwriting? No, I don't believe I have, sir. So I think I'll go very much Jerry Springer stuff. Tom, I see you laughing, but this is safeguarding, sir. I'll have you know, if Ofsted were in the room, sir, this would be a serious strike against your name. I'm only joking. Thank you, Tom, for the opportunity. It's all been great people. Uh, so I think I'm going to go into um, a Jerry Springer style uh, final thoughts. I said that to a kid the other day. It's like, oh, do you know who Jerry Springer is? He's like, what's that? I'm like, wow. Wow. I'm just, I can't believe they don't know who Jerry Springer is. I'm sure, I'm looking at some, some faces here. I'm sure you guys are familiar with Jerry Springer. There was Ricky Lake. Are these names unfamiliar? Ricky Lake. Then there was, who else was it? Maury. You know, forget Jeremy Carl. These were the real OGs. Ricky Lake, Maury, Jerry Springer. Anyway, I'm going <laughs> There's a lot of laughter in the room. It's the truth. Maury, you are not the father. That was impressive TV. My mum used to like that as well. It's like, hey, you can see that one's the child. That one's the father of the child. I was like, no, mum. No, mum. Anyway, so I think I'm going to do my Jerry Springer kind of final thoughts. My personal thoughts, so I've given all my personal thoughts away, but I basically believe that education is in need of serious reform. Um, looking at this report, it's just confirmed the things I kind of felt on an instinctual level um, in terms of disruption. You know, one of the things that I'm looking on in interest is the development of AI and how AI is changing everything. Now, when we think of AI, a lot of us are thinking of the Terminator, which is very frightening. Um, <laughs> some Austrian dude coming and saying, I'll be back. But it's not even about that. It's in terms of um, the, the, the automation of how work uh, operates and how traditional job sectors are, are being taken up. I mean, my brother, he works, uh, one of my brothers, he works in finance. And he was saying to me, uh, I saw him at Christmas and he said, I'm so glad I got into, I feel sorry for anybody getting into finance now. And I said, why do you feel sorry for people getting into finance? And he said, because everything's been taken over by machines. So his company, which was really interesting, his company said to him, look, because he runs a particular department. He said, look, put your best accountants, set, give me five of your best accountants and we're going to give them a set of accounts and we've got this new program. All right. And the, uh, this program will run the same accounts as these five accountants. And basically what he told me, cut a long story short, was that the, the accuracy of this machine was, it was crazy, like in terms of the forecasting, the accuracy. And he was like, he might make it to retirement, but he said a lot of these youngsters that are coming up into accountancy now, they might be, they're not competing with guys from, you know, abroad. They're not competing with people from India or America or China or parts of Africa. They're competing with a machine. And he was saying, this is serious. So he, he, he's like, well, finance is really being taken over by machines. So I think that the education system has to reflect these changes it has to reflect um what is going on and what is happening and i don't to answer my own question i don't think the education system is is preparing our young people for the future and i think a lot of work needs to be done because the people that are going to suffer the most is not going to be i'm sure the people that have come from a higher socioeconomic context 
will be fine because they can get the extra tuition, they can get the extra help, they've got the contacts. But it's the people that the thing, the the um, the people I worry about are those who do not come from that socioeconomic context who are already disadvantaged. And now it's no longer a case of competing with Johnny from the next town. They're competing with how nine thousand. And that's what worries me. And they are going to become a lost generation. And it really concerns me. So I think, to answer my own question, I don't think we are doing enough. Well, guys, I've run out of steam. I've run out of pineapple juice as well. So I think I'm going to end it here. As I say, I really, really, really appreciate a lot of you stayed in. Usually I'm guilty of this. I'll go into a room, I'll stay for two minutes, and then I'll go and watch EastEnders. Or I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. So I'm sure some of you got that in the background. <laughs> some of you are watching Matt Hancock eating kangaroo never regions i don't know i don't know i don't watch i'm a celebrity that's more of my wife's things um but um i really really appreciate you guys this was nerve-wracking for me terrifying for me talking to myself uh in public but no thank you for everybody that's come on the calls thank you for everybody that's um, participated as i said this is part one of two um i've got one more to do on the 28th of november monday same time 7 30 to 8 30 so um uh, we're, I won't reveal the title. I want to keep you guys in suspense. Okay, so we're gonna have another discussion. But unless there's any anybody want to say anybody anything before I close the room or whoever's handling the door kicks me out, I feel like I'm in rented accommodation at the moment. Actually, not it's not my house. Anybody? Any final thoughts? No. Okay. Well, guys, thank you very very much. Does that even make grammatical sense? Very very much. Yes, it does. I'm a writer. I know what I'm talking about. Thank you. Thanks a lot for listening. Appreciate your time. Have a lovely evening. God bless. And see you on the 28th of November. Peace out.